you have your Bibles, you turn with me to that passage we read, Nahum chapter 1. And I want us to consider those eight verses that we read uh, from that first chapter. The prophet Nahum lived in Judah, the southern part of uh, Israel. And he lived between 663 BC and 612 BC. He lived before the fall of Nineveh. Nineveh, that great Assyrian city. Uh, we read of its collapse and its fall and its uh, overthrow by another nation in chapter 3. Nahum prophesies about it. The name Nahum means comfort. And this prophecy in foretelling the fall of Nineveh and declaring God's righteous anger against uh, the enemies of Judah, the Assyrians, is meant to be a message of comfort to the people of God. It's unlike Jonah. If you remember the story of Jonah, God sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach that they should repent and turn to God. And that's what happened. There was a great turning of the, the city, uh, of people back to God. But now Nahum, Nahum is preaching uh, to the people of Judah some two generations later. And sadly, Assyria and Nineveh have returned to their wicked ways. By this time, they were known for their brutality and the cruelty, uh, the way they treated their enemies when they overthrew threw them. So Nahum now isn't preaching to Nineveh, he's preaching to Judah. And he's reassuring them of the promised certainty of God's final overthrow of their enemies. And that's a message of comfort to us as God's people, and has been a message of comfort to God's people down the ages, that God will triumph, however bleak uh, the situation might seem at certain times. Yet this message of comfort that Nahum brings confronts us first of all in these verses with a terrifying picture of God's anger against sin. Uh, the Lord here in these verses reveals his reaction to those who break his laws who rebel against him, who give God's glory to others. And though these words are directed at God's enemies, even as God's people, we need to be reminded, don't we, again and again of the awesomeness of God's holiness. The total separateness there is between ourselves and God, between the creator and the creation. And in verse 2, we're told at the outset that the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. But th this anger that is spoken of here, it's not some malicious activity, some bad-tempered reaction to an annoying irritation. When we see jealousy or anger in one another or in others, 
it's an ugly thing, isn't it? It's never a nice thing to see. But here, we have described the reaction of God's glorious, holy character, a holiness that, that cannot tolerate sin. We see this reaction to sin in these words. The Lord's perfect holiness demands that every sin against his person, against his rule, against his laws should be avenged. The city of Nineveh had stopped looking to God as they did when Jonah preached to them. They looked no higher than themselves and the idols around them. And sadly, as we read the Old Testament, that was true of God's people, wasn't it? That they forgot God. They ignored the Lord. They turned to false gods. They forgot the holiness of his character and his hatred of sin. Uh, and we know how sadly, ultimately, they too would go into exile because of their sin. And God's word remains the same. So as we think about the reaction of the Assyrians and the reaction of God's people, ultimately, we have to ask ourselves the question, don't we? How do we live in our day and age in the light of God's unchanging holiness? That's a big question for us, isn't it? Are we living in the light of who God is? As we see in these verses, not only God's anger against sin, but we see uh, the, the awesomeness of the nature of God. Here is not a God who's annoyed with his creation and angry with his creation, but is actually ineffectual. He's uh, not able to do anything about it. He's someone on the sidelines who's disappointed and wishing for better things. No, we're told here, aren't we, that this one is the one whose power transcends even the awful power we see at times in, nat in, the, in nature around us. We're told, aren't we, at the end of verse th 3, his way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel with her. The bloom of Lebanon withers, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it, who can stand before his indignation. This is the God whose holiness cannot tolerate our sin and whose power is beyond our imagination. And this is the God who tells us that there is appointed a final day of judgment when all must give account. In verse 6 we read, uh, in verse 6, Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. And later in verse 8 we read, but with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. And we're reminded, aren't we, of those verses in chapter 6 of 
uh, revelation, that awesome picture of the day of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island were removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? By nature, however outwardly moral, however upright we may appear to others around us, by nature God sees us in our sin. And we cannot come into his presence without confronting, as I say, his holy character and his hatred of sin. John Blanchard uh, wrote these words, to sin is to violate his holiness, insult his justice, make light of his grace. By the very fact of our sins and God's holiness, there can never be any peace between us based on our character and his holiness. How deadly a thing sin is. And it's a challenge to us all this morning. Is that as, as believers, do we constantly find our view of sin is going like this? That we, we, it's terrible, it's terrible. And then it becomes less and less terrible. And we have to remind ourselves again. But if we view God in his holiness and his righteousness, surely then sin should constantly be a dreadful thing to us. Uh, and to any here this morning, if you are not Christians, then you are still far from God. God is holy and you are sinful. And there is no way that by yourself you can come into God's presence with any hope. You can only come into his presence by yourself and meet with judgment. So are you taking sin seriously this morning? Such a reminder of God's character seems aimed to make us, even as God's people, to, to tremble rather than be comforted. But in these eight verses, if you imagine them as the darkness of the night sky, you find in these verses two bright stars which shine out for the comfort both of God's people and for you if you're an unbeliever this morning. And the first of those stars we find in verse 3. And it tells us of the patience of God. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord is angry with sin, but the Lord is slow to anger. God in his holiness and his righteousness and his justice might rightly judge sin the moment it is committed. We might rightly at any moment deserve to be cut down. But what grace is seen in these words? What mercy, 
what patience. The Lord is slow to anger. And we're reminded of words in 2 Peter who wrote, The Lord is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish. Habakkuk tells us that God cannot look on sin with any pleasure. And yet he shows patience towards us who rebel against him. And God's patience is nothing less than what we describe often as a day of grace. It's not a day of judgment today. The Lord Jesus Christ as yet hasn't returned today. It's still a day of God's patience and of God's grace. It's, this is a day of opportunity to repent, to turn from your sin and to seek forgiveness if you are at this time yet an unbeliever. For us who are believers, God is gracious towards us, isn't he? He calls us back to himself again and again. He tells us the blood of Jesus Christ goes on cleansing from all sin. If we are faithful, if we are, will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we are also reminded that God's patience, and for you who are yet not believers, God's patience has a limit. This patience is not limitless, for he goes on to say, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. God's patience is not such that when that day comes, when either you individually are called to God or together we are called to face God at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, God will not turn a blind eye and say, well, never mind, you did your best, we'll, we'll forget about it. God is patient with you now, extending you his grace and his offer of forgiveness and of salvation. But the day is coming when that day of grace will close. And at that moment, it will only be a day of judgment. Have you taken advantage of the day of grace? We read so often, don't we? So many uh, offers are in the world, in shops and so on, will last until <laughs> the end of August. Or don't miss your opportunity. Who knows when your day of grace will end? Who knows if one of us, before the end of this day, is standing before God? Somebody once said, we all live as though we had another 20 years to go, whatever our age. We all think we'll, we'll keep going. But who knows when this day of grace will come to an end for you? Take advantage of it today. Today, the hymnist says, his mercy calls you. And we call you through the gospel to repent and turn to him. That's the first glorious star in this dark sky. And the second one is in verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in them. 
in the midst of this fearful picture. Uh, if we were only to have that picture of God and his holiness and his justice and his wrath with sin, we would all cry out that the rock should cover us. But we read here that this God is good. Those are stunning words, aren't they, in the midst of this picture, that God is good. Unlike God's anger, God's goodness is of the very essence of who God is. God is good. It is one of his attributes, one of his characteristics. God's anger is only an outworking of God's holiness. If man had never sinned, if Adam and Eve had lived uh, righteously in the Garden of Eden and all their uh, sons and daughters and so on had lived righteously, we would never have known God's anger. But we would always have known God's goodness. God's goodness is with us every day, believer or unbeliever. He watches over us. He keeps us. And the goodness of God is a truth which weaves itself right through the, the Bible. You might remember that, that occasion when Moses asked that God should show him his glory. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. And we read, don't we, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, God said, I will, I will make all my goodness pass before you. What a glorious thing. I want to see your glory very well. I will pass before you and you shall see all of my goodness. God's goodness is demonstration of his glory and his majesty such a god he is and the psalmist says uh, doesn't he you are good and you do good again john blanchard god is essentially good infinitely perfectly unchangeably good and everything he does flows from this and is therefore intrinsically good if you know anything of the life of Jeremiah, you know how many trials and difficulties he faced. And yet he could say, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. And God's goodness is expressed through uh, his other attributes and actions. You think of his providence. Uh, again, the psalmist tells us, the Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. The Bible makes that great, great declaration, doesn't it? That God is love. He is perfect in himself. The triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. They are a perfect expression of love. But his goodness pours out of that love in providence. And in its highest degree in redemption, in salvation. We deserve God's anger and God's wrath that we have described. But in the gospel, we find 
God's love, God's mercy, God's grace. All these wonderful expressions of his goodness to undeserving sinners. And ultimately, of course, that is only possible because of the uh, ultimate expression of his goodness and his love in sending his son into this world to be our substitute, to bear that anger, to carry that wrath at Calvary in our place, that we might be able to come to him and find salvation and forgiveness. And that's the the glorious consequence of this glorious truth. uh, Nahum says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. It's a refuge for the trials of this life. The believer can go to God and find a refuge as we face the trials and challenges of life. But ultimately, it is that refuge where the unbeliever will cry out for the rocks to hide him. The believer will stand in the refuge that is Jesus Christ, will be covered by his blood and his righteousness. There is no place of greater security and safety. The psalmist makes a, almost an understatement, doesn't he, when he says it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. There can be no greater comfort for the people of God. The days in which we live seem to grow darker and darker at the moment. As individuals, we're faced to call, call, faced to, called to face trials and tests of various kinds. But we can rest in this. The Lord is good and does good to all who trust in him. For you as an unbeliever this morning, come, come today, come and find this God who is gracious, who is kind, who is patient, who is good. All who come will never be turned away.